Hello, I'm Trisha Van Claveren, and this is episode four of Tea with She on Power and Intimacy with Mikaela Boem. Welcome, Mikaela. Thank you. Hello. Hi. And I'm here with Cindy Ma in the studio, co-host. Hi, Cindy. Hi. And, and Tam Starita online. Hi, lovely ladies. And Tam is also hosting our audience. So, Tam, do you want to say a little bit to our audience about how to, how to interact? Yes, absolutely. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I'm going to be your online host, and I will communicate your questions to Michaela and our co-hosts in the studio, Trisha and Cindy. Um, I'd like to direct your attention to the box at the bottom of your Zoom broadcast. If you have any technical questions or have just reactions to the show, please send those um, comments right into that chat box to me, and I'll be able to see that. If you have Q&A or questions during the session, please just continue, type away, and send those questions to me, and I will incorporate that in our conversation today. Back to you, Tricia. Okay. Thanks, Tam. So, Mikaela Boem, we're very honored to have Mikaela. She has over 40,000 client hours with Hollywood celebrities and Grammy Award-winning musicians, and she's an expert on intimacy and polarity, and she's a teacher of teachers, and she's also trained in Tantra. So Mikaela, um, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, you covered some of it. Um, I have a kind of a dual background where uh, part of um, my education was a very classic education, kind of in the in the sense that I um, I learned everything about the realms of psychology, trauma therapy, uh, forensics, um, and um, the the applications thereof in counseling as well as in working with people in pretty dicey situations. Amongst them, things like um, uh, drug rehabs and um, you know uh, other uh, very I don't want to say hardcore kind of um, situations. Um, but I also have a background, as you said, in in, uh, in Tantra um, and started very young, started with 16, had a teacher in the uh, in, in a lineage that's uh, considered the Kashmiri Shaivist lineage. And, and how did uh, you start so early? Well, I mean, at 16, that's very young, no? Uh, it's not, actually, it's not considered young because you don't start the... Mm-hmm. The misconception there is that people think that somehow if you study Tantra, it's essentially a, a sexual thing. And it is, um, it's not really a sexual thing. Only way, way, way later uh, does it go into the realms of interacting with another human being for the sake of a certain expansion. But it's really the attention to um, everyday um, movement, everyday doing, everyday being as a full immersion into life and not having a spiritual practice and then having your life. So um, the early years of my training were essentially sweeping and making chai, (laughs) things Mm -hmm. of that nature, because that's how you learn how to be fully engaged with life and in life and with your body and life um, so that you can be with other people. 
So it's, you know, it sounds, I know in, in, in the Western, you know, um, traditions often or in the Western view of things, Tantra is all about sex, but um, that's a much, much later exploration. It's about uh, being in life. And um, so I started that very young. Uh, I've, I've told the story you know, in other places before. My big career goal was to be a witch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but aren't you born a witch? Uh, well, it's one thing to be born a witch, but you have to have training, clearly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you know, those, um, those concoctions are not just appearing by themselves. So um, I, I essentially was very, very interested in Celtic uh, herb lore and things like that. And I made my way from that into Ayurvedic herbs. And I met uh, my teacher through the introduction of a woman I, I studied with in the realm of herbal um, you know, uh, preparation. And that's how I entered that particular domain. And I was with that teacher for over 10 years. And I uh, uh, was given the lineage um, to bring forth last year. So 20 something years later. Wow. Yeah. So Michaela, um, I wanted to explain first, we're so honored to have you here on Tea with She. And one of the things that um, Thich Nhat Hanh said is that uh, we are the most real when we are having tea, and that's why we're doing this program to uh, um, gather with women to talk about these issues really from an authentic perspective. And so we're so glad to have you join us for this conversation. Um, the reason why this came up was really through um, something that Tam had said about a friend of hers who was going through a divorce um, and was... Should we have it, Tam address that? Yes. Happy to. So, you know, I think before I even address that, let me just say that this platform is amazing in that we can have these things come up in our lives and we can bring those discussions here together so we can all talk about it. And going back to the question, Part of this came up for me um, when in my life I met a friend through my photography efforts and she just came from Russia two years ago with her husband, uh, wasn't able to work here, so just took, took up photography as a way to just connect with other people and build her community. Um, during the year that I've known her this past year, she, she finally, I was her only friend apparently, and she came to me and said, you know, I just wanted to let you know that my husband has just left me and he found some other woman here in the States. Um, I don't have a job and I don't have a car. And, you know, it seemed to me that doing the time we've gotten to know each other, that she has set up this lifestyle where she didn't have a lot of resources. She's in a new country, didn't have a lot of friends outside of me. Um, her husband controlled all the finances even in terms of just being able to de determine what she's gonna do during the day, she has to consult with him. So when I found this out about her and what had happened, it really broke my heart. And it just really brought me to a place where I felt like, why would we set ourselves up to be in this sort of situation? Um, and I, as a friend of hers, just felt helpless in terms of what I can do for her. So this was the reason why this episode came up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Michaela, what would you say to someone like that? 
Well, I, th I think, you know, it's not as clearly as what would you say to someone like that? Because, of course, she is in that situation because of a whole bunch of circumstances that conspired to bring her to a place where she is no longer capable of caring for herself or having power over her life. Uh, the bigger picture that um, I looked at when we decided on this topic is why are we doing this? Right. Why are we yes. doing this and how are we doing this? Well, and we can talk about how to remedy it and, and, and those kind of things. But the why we're doing it is a very difficult one and, and not very palatable at, at points uh, because uh, biologically speaking, regardless of women's liberation, regardless of everything else that's going on, biologically, we are programmed to want to have children with a man who provides a strong sense of security and safety. And in the olden days, right, in the cave days or tribal days, that meant someone who had power, power and funds, money, but money as in livestock, uh, resources, warriors. Um, the more of that you had, the more um, you could grant the survival of your offspring. The less of that you had, the more hardship your um, children and yourself would, um, of course, experience. So our biological um, trajectory or, or wantingness is to find someone who has uh, a certain amount of power and money and influence and control. Right? And um, nowadays, of course, situations are completely different but that feeling is still there and you know there's lots and lots of studies done that when you show women a photo of a man and uh, they're told that he's a starving artist they they rate him a certain way in attractiveness and if the same photo of the man is shown and they tell him that he's a multi-billionaire his attractiveness level goes up the roof um, you know th those studies have been done over and over and over and, and it's nobody's fault and there's nobody to look down upon it's what's right from a biological standpoint, right? Now, times have, of okay. course, massively changed. You want to say something? Yeah, I was, no, that's what I was going to say. It is like then, then once we are in those relationships, those women, I was, I was one of them, also found ourselves um, being left. Or, yeah, there's not um, enough vibrancy in the relationship. It's... A, no, well, it's way worse than that. The, the, this, is, this is why I'm going a little bit out the reservation coming back, right? From a biological standpoint, if you pick a man to provide these things, you are also setting yourself up for the horrible reality that your value is essentially based on your sexual viability and your fertility and things like that, right? So you're, you're putting yourself in a situation that's entirely unnecessary in this day and age, where you are valued and make yourself, you know, um, vulnerable to what happens, like you said, when the vibrancy leaves, when the fertility, the shine leaves. And then you have these stories like, you know, Tam's friend who gets left in a strange country for another woman who is, of course, much shinier in that particular moment. And that's a huge setup. Um, but we do it because we don't know exactly how not to do it. And then the other thing is we are biologically programmed for sacrifice, right? Because having a child, what being a child, 
Well, if you, if you um, have to essentially risk, because that's what it was in, for many, many thousands or millions of years, you have to risk your life to give birth. Um, you mm. feed uh, a, a growing baby in your body with your life force and with what you have to eat and how you, you know, collect food in the wild and things like that. You give birth, you breastfeed, you sacrifice yourself for your children if some saber-toothed tiger comes. You are, you're essentially programmed to do for others, to care for others and, you know, for the children. And that, of course, also uh, bleeds over into uh, most women having a very strong, deep and incredibly beautiful relationality in which um, connecting and fitting in and being tribally accepted and, um, you know, having friends and being being accepted socially is very, very important because once again, it was. If you were, uh, you know, a truly competitive woman in a tribal situation, you didn't get a lot of help, you know. Nowadays, of course, all our effort has shifted into being competitive in the workplace and other places and for the best men. And the whole um, being in, in female relationships isn't as strong anymore, but the self-sacrifice, the putting yourself last is so, still there. So what about the lineages of women warriors? Well, they, historically they exist. And, and the goddesses and the witches, the, the powerful women. Yeah, we see those and they exist, but that's, but those women usually didn't have children. And if they have had children, right, mythically speaking, these children weren't necessarily raised by them, right? When you, I, I my, my entry into spirituality was uh, the mists of Avalon with 11, right? So, mm. uh, which is a very, very powerful archetypal narration of powerful, strong women. Um, nowhere in those traditions or in the Amazonian traditions or in the uh, kind of Polynesian warrior traditions, do you see those women being married and having children? You know, they chose men however they wanted to. If they reproduced, they had the children. The boys were sent to their fathers. The girls were raised as lineage holders. And um, they were empowered. Uh, but they, so it, it's a bit tricky because the witches and the warriors were on the fringes of what I'm describing. And hence they were so powerful. And the, the quest really is, that that's the why, right? The quest really is, is to bring that kind of empowerment and that kind of independence from being accepted in a certain system to women everywhere so that things like being left and being left destitute doesn't happen. Um, what you said about it, once you get married and have the kids, this biological instinct to nurture is exactly what causes something in the relationship to kind of to to shift into a different I don't know but but then you know, how can you because I, I remember feeling um you know I'm the mom I'm taking care of the kids I'm being the wife I'm doing the role that that seemed to be expected of me and it was also very natural as a as an evolution to the relationship but um 
that is not what it seems to be working in the modern day, right? And how do we, Michaela, how do we hold on to that warrior side of ourselves once we make that um, change in our relationship? Well, it's not so much the warrior that's in question, right? That's too, and I'll talk about what you can do to keep the warrior going. But it's the knowledge that the function of raising your children and being a mom um, is very, very important. And most people in their relationships uh, nowadays expect that there is still sexual spark and freshness and aliveness and attraction. And of course, um, that's not necessarily true. So, you know, in the in the work that I do around giving people and giving couples back their their sexual spark, the thing to understand is that the more you have in common, the better your relationship. The more you have in common, the worse your sexual attraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes complete sense. Well, how do we how do we solve that? It's a horrible. Um, thing to consider because essentially what makes a relationship good is that two people meet each other and they discover that they have commonalities, they have common goals, they have common um, values, they want the same things, like for instance children, right? You want to be a mother and raise the children. Your husband wants to have children and provide. And then ideally, if you have a good relationship, uh, more and more of your lives be come together you have now have same friends you live in the same place you have the same interests now you have the same children you go to the school deal with the kids so you have this really full beautiful exchange if you have a relationship problem right then it's usually a communication problem or you not being on the same page and that can be worked out in counseling but interestingly enough because of the arc of attraction that has to be present for two people to be sexually attracted to each other the more you become the same the less there's the distance between the two people and that means the less sexual attraction there is so this is what you're talking about polarity is that what you mean by polarity it's yes polarity is one way of saying it Um, we call it usually erotic tension or erotic friction or attraction because Uh, the word polarity has become a bit um, stereotyped, you know, with men and women. And that's, as we know, no longer true. People are not just, you know, um, straight. You know, there's woman, woman, man, man. There's all kinds of um, combinations. But you have two separate human beings that are very different. For instance, a man and a woman. Or uh, somebody who's more willing to surrender and somebody who's more willing to guide or somebody who is more in the flow and loves to be with the children and somebody who wants to provide the direction and make a living out there and make a, have a purpose in the world. So yes, that's the polarity. And the stronger the arc of polarity between the two poles, um, that's just, you know, physics, the more sexual attraction. And as you know, often we have the strongest attraction with people who we don't even like because it's so different. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, it's a very unpleasant concept in a certain way uh, <laughs> when, you, when you consider it. However, the really good news is that if you have a good relationship, that's a lot harder to achieve than sexual attraction, which you can learn because it functions by principles. And you can reclaim it. And you can, you know, it's a, it's a, 
it's a teachable and a learnable skill versus um, finding somebody who you love enough to have children with and be with is much harder. Uh, but so coming back to your question, you fulfilled exactly the role in the relationship that you decided on, right? Which is to raise the children. And he did his thing and you did good in that domain. But that of course takes the, the, the you know, dance of the, of, the, of the sexual attraction out of it. And what then happens is that often the security um, need in a woman, which is the important thing, makes her just stay with the children and do the things that need to be done. Also, most women don't know. There's no education out there about that. And the man starts going well, but because, of course, they, they don't have a sexual expiry date, so to speak, right? So they start going, well, where's that friction? Where's that excitement? And, um, and then things start going, you know, often strange because the power then gets wielded to um, enforce the agreements you've made. And then when the guy leaves... What do you, what do you mean by that? What do you well, you, you, made certain, you made certain agreements and like if you make an agreement, I raise the children, you bring in the money, then um, there's a certain kind of a performance-based exchange. Not only, mind you, but there's a performance-based exchange. You do this, I do that, tit for tat, so to speak. If you don't do this, I don't do that. Right? And then that sets up a, a situation where you are essentially having to provide value to get love or get security. Michaela? So, yes. So what do you, do you feel that the power distribution needs to be balanced in a relationship to be healthy? Um, well, I personally do think that, um, you know, empowerment is kind of a tricky thing because you can't empower yourself on the back of someone else, right? It's not... To me personally, it's not useful to just go down with the patriarchy. Um, for me, what's useful is taking self-responsibility and taking power, right? Having power, creating power. And that starts um, with, uh, you know, knowing what you're worth, knowing your value, knowing what you're agreeing to, um, making agreements in the relationship that allow you to have uh, some kind of sovereignty and freedom, regardless of your financial situation, for instance, right? Decision-making. Um, I personally, uh, you know, this is just an example, but I've been married for, I think, 13 years now with my husband for 16. And we have completely separate bank accounts, completely separate, um, uh, you know, properties and, and I mean, everything's completely separate. So my um, relationship with my husband is in no way influenced by dependency on funds or dependency on his approval. Um, and I think that's very healthy nowadays, particularly because it's not as clear cut, even if somebody raises only raises the children, which most women don't do, but even if you only raise the children, there's a, there's a very clear worth and value that can be attached to what that means. And there has to be autonomy and there has to be uh, your own money and your own decisions and all of that, even in a very small way that one has to take so that you don't end up 
uh, not knowing what's going on. I, I mean, in today's day, uh, day and age, for a woman to not know the, her finances and not have a bank account of her own is, you know, that, that's a bit tricky. Because you, you, you go into a dependency situation where you find yourself at the very, very bad end of a situation when it comes to an end. So, Tam, is there any questions from the audience? Always lots of questions. <laughs> where do we start? Okay. Um, I have a question with regards to the principles of sexual attraction. Yeah. Um, she mentioned she didn't know that this could be learned. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's kind of, in, in an ideal world, in my ideal world, that would be the first thing anybody would learn, right? Because sexual attraction is based on two people um, being different, right? That whole opposites attract is very true. And when people first learn um, about each other, they are very different. So it's usually sexually very alive and exciting. And then the more and more and more and more they come together, the less and less and less um, it's sexually exciting. And often you see people, they're very, very deeply, um, you know, uh, intimate with each other or, or close with each other. And they touch a lot and they kiss a lot, but they don't have a lot of sex because that's the principle, right? The principle is you make yourself very different. Um, what that means is you feel what's your... Um, contribution to the sexual relationship, not to the, to the whole life, but to the sexual relationship. Are you more willing to be the one being taken, um, being swooned, so to speak, um, you know, letting go, just flowing, enjoying um, life flowing through you? Or are you the one who wants to take direct, um, pin, penetrate, however you want to say that, right? That's, you figure that one out. And usually in the sexual relationship, one person likes one thing more and the other person likes the other thing more. Very rarely is it that both people want to be the one penetrating and both or both the people want to surrender. Usually um, when that happens, there isn't much sexual friction, right? So you figure out what's your primary... Um, interest sexually and then from there you um, essentially uh, let yourself be that in the sexual moment not in the whole life not in the child rearing you know or in business but in that particular moment where one person provides the the direction for the for the sexual occasion let's say and the other person provides the life and the enjoyment and the flow and the pleasure um, so what that then looks like in the tantric circles, you see this often as well. You have somebody um, enjoying their body and enjoying food and lighting and candles. And that's often the woman, not always. Right? And somebody is actively uh, doing the guiding of that particular dance and enjoying the offering of life. So that's the basics of how do you create strong attraction. And it's, it's actually right. super easy. In a workshop, so, we can so do it in 10 minutes. Let me, let me just, I want to bring up, Cindy had a question about why powerful women, like in Hollywood, who have everything, end up in abusive relationships. Well, I'm not sure whom you're talking about because... <laughs> Cindy, why don't you so Cindy, well, that? yeah. 
Like what about like Johnny Depp, for example, and then the model that he was dating, right? That's a, a very recent uh, yeah. example. Yeah, I was struck by Sandra Bullock's story. This was a long time ago. I mean, in Whitney Houston, for instance, I mean, you know, people that we look up to that, that we feel are very like strong and powerful. They have their own money and they, they get into these relationships and then they really kind of seem to surrender their power to the relationship and to the man. How does that happen? Even if, I mean, that happened to me and I'm... Um, consider myself educated and a modern day woman, but um, something about the structure of, I don't know, is it in the relationships? Is it in, you know, the culture of marriage, the, the, the institution of marriage that then um, it prompts us to, <laughs> to like give up our independence and then fall into this certain role that really gives up our power? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the structure of marriage or, I mean, it can be, right? It depends on the marriage or society, really. It is uh, that deep want to let it all go ever so often, right? The problem is when you are a very strong, powerful woman, which many women are, um, all you do all day is you do, you know, you go, you direct, you, you know, you move things forward. And, and even as I'm talking, I can feel that the energy in my body has to kind of contract and move forward. And so your body becomes habitually tense. I see this a lot in the women I work with, including the Hollywood stars, right? There's like lots of tension up here and in the head and in the neck and shoulders. And there's a certain hardness in the core of the body that comes from constantly doing, 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 doing. So then what happens is in a sexual relationship, um, the moment of letting that all go is often the sexual moment. You know, sexual, not necessarily as an intercourse, but where the man and the woman come together in that relational dance. And the heart, right, our heart, like I said, it's not true for all women, but for many women, our heart just desires to, to just relax, for somebody else to take charge, for somebody else to know which restaurant to go to or what to do next or drive or whatever, right? Because when we are that strong and powerful, I barely ever get to not be the one doing stuff. So then you end up, yeah. And then you end up with a guy who probably in the, when we talk about the Hollywood women, right? But this is not only true for Hollywood women. That's just where we see it. But you end up with a guy who is probably not as powerful or successful in his life because the guy who isn't powerful and successful isn't going to go for a woman who is equally powerful and successful because it causes strife, right? It causes competition. So you're having a guy who is maybe a little bit more loosey goosey and maybe not quite as, but then he gets controlling in the relationship because, or maybe he's just really good at, you know, it could be either way, either gets controlling the relationship or he's just really, strong and relieves her of of that doing and then she rolls over like a puppy dog and if it's not a healthy and good (laughs) we've all been there it's like oh god thank you okay you know where to go where are we going right and then and then what happens is you start getting into this into this dance where you surrender 
And if you don't, if you surrender to somebody who isn't really that good of a guy or not, you can trust so much because they have all their own stuff going on. You can end up in a pretty abusive situation. That happens a lot. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. It does. And Trisha had the question. We're asking each other's questions. <laughs> she knows a lot of people. Why are there a lot of, is there a trend of older women in relationships with younger men? Did I say that right? Yes. yes. Yeah. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> Do you see this? Do you see this, Michaela? And oh, what does it mean? Or what is... Well, you know, it's. A, it, I mean, I see it all over the place. I, I, most of my more high-profile clients have that dynamic, and all, and a lot of people who come to workshops have that dynamic, and it, it makes sense. And I've been looking at it for a while, going, why, right? So there's there's a common, um, you know, assumption, and then there is what I think is a lot more true. But so the common assumption is that the powerful women go with the shiny boy toys, and uh, it's kind of nice because the guy brings a lot of energy and it brings a lot of life and he has great ideas and he takes her surfing or, you know, he does things and he's in life and he's bringing her life and she comes home from a day of really tough work running a whatever, a film studio or something like that. And there's this guy who is just um, delight and life, right? So that's one version. And that certainly works great because that still creates a very strong um, attraction because you have one person in life creating new things, creating the swirl and another person um, being the more, you know, moving things forward. Um, and often that does happen where the woman then holds the money and the power because she really doesn't want to surrender to some guy who doesn't know what he's doing and why should she? Right? So that's, that's one yeah. aspect. But what I find much more um, interesting and what's happening a lot more with the people I know is that the women who have younger men as their relationship um, have actually achieved all these things that they wanted and they just want to, um, you know, play a bit and have a, have a, have a um, easeful, relaxing and fun time. And, often men their age or older because you have to remember you know the traditional guy um, who grew up in the times of traditional gender roles is is still going to want a woman who is 10 15 years younger than than him if he can right so so you're you're let's say you're 50 like you're my age and uh you know thankfully i'm i don't have to do this but if i would go date I have two options, right? I can look at guys in their 60s because the guys who are my age want to date women who are 30 and 35 mm -hmm. in an ideal world and can. They can still have children and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, the guys who are 60 or 65 could never in a million years meet my energy levels, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just not possible. So I would have to be with a guy... <laughs> Because I have a lot of energy, you know, regardless, yeah. certainly I have a lot of energy and a lot of strength for my age. So if I would be one of those women, you know, I travel most of the year and I'm up and down and around, I'd, I'd have a man at home who is essentially winding down and maybe in retirement or things like that. So if I would, you know, um, 
procure a mate, which I don't have, and my husband has fantastic energy levels. <laughs> but if I would have to do that, I would look at a guy much younger than me who who wants to play, who has the energy, who and who isn't burdened by the gender stereotypes of the guys in their 60s. And, and that, I think, is one of the reasons why women choose younger men these days, because the younger mm-hmm. guys are not, they're not so... You know, I'm the man, you are the woman. Right, right. Yeah. Michaela, in our conversation earlier, you mentioned about power leakage. What did you mean by that? Well, to me, um, giving away power for the sake of love is a leakage. And what I mean by that is if you're compromising yourself to get love, you're giving your power away. Right? And, and that's really... The what does that look like? Well, uh, it's fairly simple. It's, um, let's just say, this is, by the way, how abusive or, or controlling relationships start. Let's just say um, you want... Um, I'm making it super simple, right? Let's just say you, don't, you are highly allergic to pine nuts, whatever, right? Or, pine nuts is not a good example. Pasta, gluten. Now, you are meeting some new guy and um, you really like him and, and you want to, you know, be with him and he wants to take you to an Italian restaurant and you don't go, um, this is a super silly example, but you don't go, oh, I don't like pasta because you want to go where this guy wants you to go and you don't want to tell him that you, are, you, know, you don't want to do certain things. Yeah. Uh, well, you've just compromised your, yourself in a way, this is like I said, a silly example, where you left yourself behind and for the sake of love or acceptance, you've gone along with something that you're actually not agreeing on. And, and what happens when we do that, especially when we get in the habit of doing that? And that's the power leakage I'm talking about. You're essentially cutting little slices of yourself off all day, trying to appease people so that there isn't conflict, so that they don't leave you, so that they are not mad at you, so that um, uh, you are acceptable. I feel like women do this all day long. <laughs> I think we do this all day long. Yes, yeah. we do. Yeah, how did you escape? What's that, Trisha? How did you escape? How, how, is, how is it that you don't give your power away? Well, um, I think that, you know, all the things Michaela was saying was certainly true for me in my first marriage. And being married again now, um, I feel that the time that I'm spending on myself, um, doing the things I love, standing and voicing what I want, I think in general, I feel like it's attractive to my husband, certainly attractive to me. It works out much better for me. Uh, I just feel like once you can stand up for yourself, I think there's a certain sort of like energy level and, you know, even the way that we carry ourselves that says, hey, you know, I'm taking care of myself first. And I think that that's super attractive. I certainly find that attractive towards my husband, you know, when he's doing the same thing. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with you, Tam, because um, there's, you know, you can give it all up once you've had it, but you can't give it up if you've never had it. So, uh, you know, the empowerment starts with, with having it and cultivating it. And what I said earlier, which is that we are built for sacrifice, um, is true. And hence, the most important thing that I would tell any woman is 
creating proper boundary functions, being able to say no, being able to say, um, I'd love to have dinner with you, but I don't eat pasta. Right? That's a simple example. It's much more subtle for the most part. But the first thing you do is you stop the leakage where you give your power away slice by slice by slice by slice. And once you stop that leakage, as you said, Tam, you, f you can feel you have so much energy, you have so much power. And that, by the way, then is sexually attractive. Because a woman who has energy and power and movement and vibrancy in her body is sexually attractive regardless of age. Absolutely. And I also feel like being able to set those boundaries is a good training ground for my girls, you know, and, and my boy too. I feel like it allows them to understand what they feel is right for them and to be able to express that for, you know, to whoever it is that they're with, you know, in relationships. So I think, I think like you said, Michaela, when you don't have that, you didn't go through the experience, um, it's hard to be, be able to articulate it. Um, so um, now that I've gone through that, I can certainly be more expressive in knowing what my boundaries are and being able to say it in a way that is feminine. I feel like you don't have to say it or express it in a way that is like so masculine, you know, and exactly. I think being able to do that is, is really healthy. What's an example of that, Tam? What's, what's saying no in a feminine way? <laughs> um, like, you know, like if... Um, if, uh, say, if my husband or someone approached me and, and um, for example, I, I think I, I gave the example of I have this back tattoo. And then so I'm, you know, someone sees me from behind that's, you know, that just met me or something and they're engaged with me. And then all of a sudden, like, they pull my shirt open in the back. And so inst instinctively, I guess the masculine way would be like, hey, fuck you. What are the hell are you saying? But I guess um, the more fat uh, a feminine way would be to, you know, excuse me, that's, um, that's off limits. It's not okay right now. And just, you know, so being able to articulate that more. So like inside of me, certainly the, you know, the masculine way, and you, you ladies have seen me in the studio. Um, you know, I would right. totally think that going like, Hey, fuck you, get your hands yeah. off of me. You know, but I'm not. <laughs> we, uh, we have not much time left and I want to go to see if we have any audience questions. Tam, that uh, we can... Uh, we do. Um, we probably... So I know there was one question about being able to set up your separate uh, banking account, Michaela. <laughs> so like, what about the women that are moms staying at home and they don't have a job? Should they take half of their, their partner's paycheck and set up a separate account? And then what about men as well? Like, should they have their own account? Set well, up you, you know, I don't want to be that prescriptive because it's very different for different people. Like, my parents have been successfully and very sexually alive married for 50 years and they never had separate accounts so it's not that this is how it has to be you have to feel where you give your power away if you have to ask if you can buy a pair of shoes uh, you probably want to address that somehow in the financial setup um, so that that's not the power balance in the relationship right but if things flow smoothly then that's fine I personally, um, you know, but then once again, I don't have children. So it's very easy for me to go, well, I have my account. He has my, his account. I can do whatever I want with my money. But that's not true for every woman because if you are raising children, which is most definitely a full-time job and then some, um, 
you know, it's a different story. But yes, of course, um, I would say have your own money, you know, manage your own money, um, have at least enough money that you can do certain things um, that you don't want yeah. to justify. Thank you. Thank you, Michaela, for that advice. I'm sorry to cut you off. I mean, we have so, I have so much, many more questions that I wanted to ask. Um, I hope that we can continue some of this conversation online as um, women have more questions to come in. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask was that you do intimacy training. Is that correct? Yes, I do. I'm actually teaching okay. people the very skills that make their relationships sexually alive, either because it's gone or it's never been there or people want to prevent it, it going away. Exactly. So for those of you that want more of this, you can find Michaela at her website and we'll provide that for you in the link. Um, and, and Michaela, you have an upcoming workshop at Esalen, right? Yes, two. I have one for women only, which is a five day, which is kind of an immersion that's definitely an empowerment, um, you know, just in learning where your power sits and bringing out the warrior and the wise woman and the wild woman and the, you know, all the, all the, the different witch. aspects the of the witch, all the uh, different aspects of she, right? And then I have a weekend at Esalen as well, um, where we do intimacy practices. Also in Vancouver this weekend, intimacy practices and uh, Canada. Uh, so uh, um, Australia. And you're teaching worldwide. I'm teaching worldwide. I'm teaching Australia. Yeah, and the great. Okay. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you so much, Michaela. Yes, thank you. This has been great. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to quickly remind the audience, and we have an abundance of uh, online audience today. Thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to um, let you know if we didn't get to your questions, um, please go to our Facebook events page, and at She Living TV on Facebook and type in all the questions and we'll be able to answer some of the ones we've captured today. If you like this sort of content and you want to stay in touch, we invite you to stay in touch via our website. Again, our Facebook, She Living TV page, Twitter, Earth to Mother on Instagram. And if you like this sort of independent media content for women and men, um, please subscribe to our website. You'll be able to gain access to a wide range of content of this and others. Um, if you'd like to sponsor a future Tea with She episode, please send your inquiry on our website. And if you'd like any other expert collaborator that you'd like to hear from, let us know. We'd love to have this person in our studio. So back to you, Trisha and Cindy. Okay. Well, I think that's it. It's a wrap. Thank you, Michaela.